welcome to the Mind Virus Podcast. How how are our levels? Um, so far so good. Yeah, I'll, uh, I think we had a pretty good production last week. Yeah, 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 it was a little better as far as the technical aspect of it. I mean, we've been doing this for three years, people, and uh, we're pros. We're experts. There's not. There's literally nothing we can do any better than the way we do it because we're we're experts expert podcasters yeah we have credentials we are your single source of podcast quality what are our credentials the three years experience yeah 160 plus episodes Um, just look at the track record countless hours hours upon hours plopping these tracks down in garage band and exporting them Good morning, everybody. It's the Mind Virus Show. It Mind is. Virus Podcast. Find us on the web at http colon slash slash www.mindvirus.show. I'm Jordan Bruno. You are, and I'm Bobby Flood, and it is Monday, January 22nd, 2024. One, two, 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 zero, two, four. The year of our Lord. 2024. It's been a long time. So, uh, what's on your mind? Uh, What you been thinking about this week, Mr. Flood? Well, you know, they say that whatever you wake up thinking about is what you're thinking about. Yeah. I think that's the way the saying goes. (laughs) I've heard something like that. And I've woken up a few days this week with some bizarre thoughts, but... um, But we're not going to talk about those. <laughs> Otherwise, I'd be sent to the institution. No, what, I I, wanted to, I, what I want to talk about. I've become sort of a night owl, which I don't necessarily love. And I probably should try to correct that. But I'll stay up late thinking about things and reading things. And then I'll wake up sometimes thinking about those things or completely different issues. But, you know, last week, last week was uh, uh, we hit on a topic that it appears to be a developing or a, an ongoing sore spot is that right well it, it, it's making news out there in the in the world of the internet the mormon internet the bleep internet because you know we can't say mormon i thought but, i thought that your naming of this of the podcast goodest global citizen was uh, a pretty solid name well we've been encouraged to be good global citizens and yeah, Mr. Sherinian is the goodest of all global citizens, it appears. Now, one of our friends who has had some insight into this said that the church communications director doesn't really have a, a lot of influence or a very strong public face. But my, my counterpoint to that was that it's an internal bureaucratic position that influences everybody. Right. And everything, right? It's right. like a, a nexus point of... Uh, coordinating. Well, and even coordinating all the stuff that's going on. Coordinating the, the messaging. Yeah, the messaging. Yeah, it's not the PR side. It's like the is it the I don't know if you'd even call it the brain operation, but it's it's touching all these different. Uh, it t- it touches all the all the different channels and and everything that's going on, and whether it's the brain or not, if you get a really charismatic, uh, um, intense individual 
in that spot, you probably have the, well, their influence will probably expand. Yeah. And regardless of the actual influence or power he has, the hiring is extremely symbolic. It, it's a representation of, of where the powers that be at the church, at the, the powers that be, that powers that be at the COB. I just thought of that on the fly, which is why I stumbled over it. Mormon, Mormon rap. Do the <laughs> Mormon rap. Yeah, remember that? See, you can't say... The powers that be at the COB. You can't say... They hired Aaron Sherinian for me. Mormon, <laughs> Mormon rap. You can't do say, the, do the member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints rap. The members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints rap. See, it doesn't... It just doesn't work. It doesn't flow as well. <laughs> I was talking to somebody yesterday, and they were uh, they were in New York City and met somebody, and uh, the religion came up, and and this person said, uh, this this stranger said to a friend of mine, "Hey, aren't now aren't you you're a member of that that one church, right?" And he says, "Yeah, I'm I'm a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter Day Saints." And the guy goes, "I don't know." I think I know. That doesn't sound familiar. And finally, my friend goes, I'm "It's a, the Mormons." I, I'm a Mormon. He goes, "Oh yeah, yeah, the Mormons. I know them." <laughs> but the hiring of we somebody, can't escape it. The hiring of somebody like Sherinian is super symbolic because it represents, um, on the surface of it, right? We weren't in those meetings, but on the surface, it represents uh, what the the church wants to represent to the world. Uh, It's the messaging of this messenger. Um, I don't know if it's coincidental. I'm looking for messengers from my father. (laughs) I don't know if it's coincidental, but, you know, a few days after this hiring, there's an article in the church news with the current 12 just gushing over Russell Nelson. What does this have to do with Sherinian? Well, I wonder if Sherinian orchestrated that. I mean, that's the kind of thing he's been hired to do, right? They, they've been gushing over Russell Nelson uh, well, since, like, I, what, 2018? I know, but this was especially... Gushing? Gushy. And, but it just makes me wonder, like, is this the type of stuff that he's directing? And, and uh, This was in the Deseret News? It was in the Church News. Church News. Which is a... Subsection of the Deseret News, which is all owned by the church anyway. So, but uh, I, I don't know. But the larger point here is that the the LDS influencers, the the Twitter Ward Twitter, <laughs> the online presence of the LDS have. Uh, it's divided them, as we said it would. It's a divisive pick. And so you have some people saying it's a great hire, the church needs to get with the times. You have others saying this is problematic, this is um, oh, this is confusing. And then you kind of have people like us over on the side going, this is who they are. It's not surprising, it's not confusing, because this is the type of people that the church is choosing to ally itself with well he's a member of the church so it is right it is a he represents a section of the church he represents a section of the church that i think is getting more and more um traction traction is a good word you have uh is that would you call it pragma 
what is prog? Let's break down the term progmo. Progressive. It's a, it's a Greek term. It comes from the. <laughs> I'm just kidding. It was from Paul said, and cursed are the progmos. <laughs> I think, it, I think it was Paul. It was Paul. It was either Peter or Paul. It might have been Ringo, but I don't remember now. <laughs> yeah, Progmo is a short term for progressive Mormon. Um, generally online, so what, you have Are, are the, Progmos similar to Wokemos? Uh, I, I would guess they're probably the same people. But you have online, you have the Progmo versus the Desnat. <laughs> And Desnat, I didn't know what that was for a while. I had to look it up. Oh, you're going to have to tell me. That's um, Deseret Nationalist, if I'm remembering right. Oh, okay. So is this like a Christian nationalist except a Mormon variant? Maybe. Uh, I don't don't really know. But Somebody who's not ashamed of the history uh, of the Mormons? Essentially, you have the, the traditional TBM versus the leftist. Mormons and members of the church. It's right versus left in Mormon terms, mm-hmm. right? It's the same battle that's going on out in the world, you know, between progressives and conservatives. I use those terms with small letters, um, just set in, in a Mormon setting. And in a lot of ways, that battle or that ideological argument or, uh, represents the it's a fight for the soul of the of the nation really and that's happening inside the church as well not only the political side of it but i think it's a fight for the soul of the church or what the church is and is going to be going forward and as we talked about last week the the hiring of Sherinian is a very um interesting <laughs> Uh, indicator in which direction the church is going. A church that is led by people who are liberty-minded, who are wary of you know, uh, large NGOs, that's non-governmental organizations like the WEF and the UN and the Gates Foundation and the Clinton Foundation and so on and so forth. People who are suspicious of those types of organizations who are aware that globalism and what the globalists are trying to accomplish and what it means for personal liberty wouldn't hire somebody like Aaron Sherinian, who is immersed in in that world, who comes from that world, who praises that world, who is a propagandist for that world. And so that's why I think a lot of people, I think this is, if, if, if the financial shenanigans weren't enough, if the shot letter wasn't enough, this seems to have kind of woken people up to, oh, maybe all is not well up at the COB, the, with the powers that be at the COB. COB is church office building, by the way. It's the big rectangular, faceless, soulless-looking building in Salt Lake City. I've just been perusing the churchnews.com. Subtext, a living record of the restoration. Uh, while you've been talking, and my, my eyes, I'm just, I think I'm, I'm feeling hypnotized. I feel like I need to put on a shirt and a tie. You have a shirt. Um, but a tie, especially, <laughs> a white shirt and a tie. I'm just like, I'm trying to remember, because you know, we used to get the Deseret News, and we'd get the church news every Sunday, but mm-hmm. 
I just don't remember anybody that paid as close of attention to what the church and the leaders were doing as they sort of portray people. I mean, they have this website that makes you think that maybe somebody's looking at it, right? I, I, and and I, if and if you're looking at this on a regular basis, it's kind of like leadership overload, or 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 um, it is leadership just, overload. Just busy work overload is what I'm saying. Like, the, if you, the, it seems to me that the majority, probably the majority of the stories there are. Such and such leader meets with such and such global government person, or well, such well, and such leader dedicates such and such temple. There's a lot of that, but I just want to point out too. The top left link is a President Nelson link, but it says a quote real invitation to quote think celestial. President Nelson posts video on social media. So, of course, real is R-E-E-L. You know what reels are. Mm-hmm. This is a demonstration that the public mind, that the public mind's attention span has been shortened to about 30 seconds. How long is a reel? 27? They keep Eight shortening it, right? Seconds. Reels are short clips, mm-hmm. and they're maddening because they're, post, they're usually vertically oriented. Mm-hmm. See, if the world could have figured out that we are better situated to see movies horizontally. We'd have a lot better social media experience because it's just so, but it's just so easy to hold your phone right, you need with two one hands. hand. You need yeah. two hands to watch horizontally. It's so, it's so easy to hold your phone. So most of this video or a lot of the, the lowbrow video is being sh- uh, <laughs> posted uh, in this vertical format. So anyway, what I'm saying is that there's that link to remind people that President Nelson posted on social media, and then further down the page, there's one that says, in case you missed it, apostles speak on Instagram live, plus seven more stories. I did miss it. (laughs) Well, now you know. (laughs) But we have a newspaper outlet, one that used to be like a fixture on Mormon driveways every Sunday. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, Utah driveways. I mean, tons... I would say there was a time when the majority of the state was getting the Deseret News, and now a significant portion of the real estate on this website is taken up to remind you that they're posting on social media. Right. Very interesting how that how the situation has changed. So, anyway, I'm just kind of like getting hypnotized here by the content. I. I never paid this close of attention. I don't remember my parents or my grandparents. I remember like grandparents or mom maybe looking at the church news briefly, mm-hmm. but it was more of a like, oh, yep, they're still doing stuff, you know. Well, in that time, since the maybe the late '80s, maybe the '90s is when it really started in Ernst. Ernest. Ernst, Ernst? I think Ernst was the guy that started it. Ernest goes to jail. Ernest. <laughs> you know what I mean, Vern? <laughs> I think when it really got a lot of uh, speed behind it, momentum was when the church started to centralize everything, right? Because prior to that, every ward had its own stuff going on. And so you might glance at the church and maybe the church news and maybe they have an article in there about a temple dedication but temple dedications back then were, were few and far between now there there's like three a day well there's one on uh 
on the churchnews.com website right here, Orem, Te- Orem Utah Temple dedication, a quote, milestone in the progress of God's kingdom, Elder Christofferson says. What milestone? Uh, it doesn't say which milestone. It does say that it's located just off of Interstate 15 near Utah Valley University, so it could be mile marker uh, 200 and some odd. 207 or something? Could be. <laughs> Yeah, I, I don't know. They say these things. Maybe there's more context somewhere. Is it like it's the 18th temple in Utah County? Is that the milestone? I mean, I'm not trying to be facetious here. I just well, our language uh, has been. I, I'm just yeah. I like degraded. I want, if we're gonna say things like milestones, then it, it it we should know what that means. But it's what here's the broader quote, at least according to the Church News. Quote, marks a milestone in the progress of the kingdom of God on the earth and particularly in this vital part of his vineyard, end quote. It's near well, vineyard. It's, a little, bit sa- it's a little south of vineyard. I see what he did there. <laughs> vineyard. There's a little town right there next to Orem, which often is just referred to as Orem, called Vineyard. It's near the lake. Yeah. It's uh, west side of the freeway. I wonder if he even meant to do that. <laughs> I think that uh, it's mostly distinguished by a Larry Miller uh, theater complex, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. There's a a megaplex. We call those megaplex. megaplexes. There's a Top Golf now, right there. You could, if you were good enough, <clears throat> you might be able to blast a golf ball from Top Golf and bounce it off the steeple of the temple. Really? I mean, you have to be really to good. Really blast it. <laughs> But um, but but yeah. So the 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 centralization of everything has sort of made everything leader centric and Salt Lake centric. And so the only news that really matters is what's coming out of Salt Lake. Gone are the days where the stake president would uh, invite everybody to the stake fathers and sons camp out or the uh, ward fathers and sons camp out. Those seem to have gone. On the wayside, I remember going to Lagoon, which is a local amusement park, right? We had Ward and Stake Lagoon days, so you would go up there and, and you would see people. And, and, and I've, I've mentioned this before, but we would recognize and know the names of people in our stakes, even as a kid. Mm-hmm. And, and I would know, oh, that's the such and such family, they're in our stake. It's funny how we're becoming more and more isolated with this technological advancement. I can't name the people in my ward. It's as if the church has been able to quietly institute a digital public infrastructure, right. which is a term that I saw on Martin Armstrong's blog last night, where he's discussing the idea that uh, th- this is the... This plan for digital public infrastructure is essentially the goal of the unelected globalists, the World Economic Forum, mm-hmm. the United Nations projects. Uh, they've been working on it for a decade, and our spidey senses have been alerted to, to things like digital internet IDs and to central bank digital currency, but those are simply a part of the greater program, which is essentially to present us with a digital reality that we all have to interface with in order to interface with each other. Right. And when you've got, when everything goes digital, then it's fully controllable. It's, it's Winston's ministry of truth 
all day, every day for everybody. And I, looking at my kids, I just want to point out like the the older ones that grew up with you know they were they were younger when social media started to come out. They did they didn't. It's kind of like in our cases, we we can remember being young adults without cell phones, right? Yeah, we're the last people on earth that remember the before yeah, times. Yeah, and and like I've got some kids that can remember well, not having had a cell phone as a teenager or didn't have social media till they were eighteen or something like that. But now we've got like my my younger kids; they're just they've just been immersed in it, and they seem they feel isolated. I I mean I, they. They don't express it exactly in those terms, but I see them as uh, I'm worried about them because they they f- seem lonely. Well, I, I look at my kids and I think about my high school experience. What was a typical like you know weekend as a high school student for me? Like it's like if if I didn't have sports practice or after sports practice on a Friday or a game or whatever. Uh, if it was football season, which I didn't play football in high school, we would all go to the football game and we would sit together and we would cheer for our friends on the field, but also it was just a social scene, right? Yeah. We would hang out with the girls we liked. and, and I did take uh, one of my kids to the high school basketball team. That was a thing, but it's still like a little bit it's you not, know, unusual. But it, yeah, but And then, he's having a hard time making friends and... I've I've gone to high school football games this last fall and and there's still kids there. They're still socializing, they're still doing that thing. One of the things that really helped uh us when I was in high school is after the football games and after the basketball games they had what they called sports dances and they would have a a couple of hours of uh worth of a dance in the gym, right? And so it was again a way to be with each other and I haven't seen I haven't seen a steak dance advertised in a while. Do, they, they do those still happen? Around, they had a couple over New Year's. Like really? Some tri steak type things. Oh, just, okay. But tri tip. Yeah. But the point being is is we didn't have a, a way to digitally contact our friends. There was no text messaging when I was in high school. You had to we call. were still able to get together. You had to write down their numbers and then I you know I had a little sheet of my friends phone numbers to their probably house. had a few of them memorized yeah a couple memorized and then just a little sheet of paper there where it's like okay i need to call so and so and you're just calling the house and the phone is mounted to the wall right and you might get their dad right and the headset had like a cord that right. would get tangled up and you'd oh. have to like hello stay within a certain number of feet of the telephone johnson residence oh, oh uh, hello uh, brother m- mr uh, is is Sammy there? Is Sammy home? Uh, this is Bobby Flood. Bobby Flood. I thought I told you not to come around here anymore. Uh, 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 just joking. Ha 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 Sammy's right here. You know, you had to call, and if no one was home, you might get an answering machine. Right. And then I remember after I if got you a had driver's an license. Machine. Right after I got a driver's license. We did, there was caller ID. That was a big thing back then. But I, and then so you'd call the next house. Well, maybe they're over at some. When was the last time you saw a kid come over and say, can, can so-and-so play? Can so-and-so uh, play? Not since my kids were little toddlers, like, not toddlers, but like and, elementary And then when they age. get into like middle school and high school, it was, we, didn't, we didn't go over and say, can so-and-so play? We would say, hey, is uh, Sammy around? Right. 
And so I'd go down the list of calling, like, where where are they? Right. Or, or, if I but I'm just saying, them, if you couldn't find them, you go get them. Yeah, I'd jump in the car, and we had a couple houses. I had one friend that had a pretty big house with a swimming pool, and I'm like, that was, and it wasn't that far from my house. It was like up the hill, and so I was always, I would go there first. And sometimes, um, you know, you just drive by and you'd see everyone else's cars. It's like, oh, they're here. My point being is, we were cut off technologically back then, but I feel like far more social than kids are nowadays. Oh yeah. And far more assertive, right? Like it's my, like you, you daughter, see the cars, and rather than worrying about what they'd think if you knocked on the door, you, you knocked on you the door. Even, sometimes you wouldn't even. You'd just barge in, say hi to the parents. Or Hello, walk into the backyard. Yeah, walk into the backyard. <laughs> yeah. And everyone's like, oh, yeah, you're here. Yeah, I called your house. And, you know, maybe they did, maybe they didn't. But And I'm not saying it was, like, it was perfect. There was drama and, you know, there was all that stuff that goes along with teenage life. But my daughter is a little more social and she'll go do things with her friends. But so many kids, I'm like, you know, I, I, I see a lot of high school kids. I'm like, what are you guys doing tonight? You know, you got plans for the weekend? They're like, no. Sitting no. on the couch texting. Yeah. It's social. Just, not, they're not even texting anymore. They're... They're just swiping, Snapchatting, be reeling, going through reels. Yeah, and there's exceptions, obviously, and I always encourage the, the guys I work with to, you know, go on dates and hang out and be a, be a kid, be a teenager. So many of them want to work. It's like I got to work. I got to get a job. I got to work. I'm like, that's what you're gonna do the rest of your life. <laughs> High school is such a unique opportunity because you're you're old enough to do some fun stuff, right? You can drive and you can go on dates and things, and you can do all that stuff without the responsibilities of being an adult. <laughs> so it's kind of a little like golden age for for kids. Like, go, yeah, you know, go on dates. Go to the football games, like embrace this experience because it's over and then you're an adult and then you have to get a job and then life gets really real. <laughs> but, yeah. but I think you're right. Like it's tough for these younger people because of the, the technology is creating like these digital prisons in this interface. You know, Apple's getting ready to announce, maybe they already just did a new like VR headset goggles. Yeah. And it's like, these things have failed. Everyone else has failed that has tried these. They just haven't. Yeah. I have zero interest in VR. I think it, it's weird and... and no, didn't uh, Zuckerberg stake a huge amount of money on the idea that they were going to create the metaverse and have uh, some sort of a digital uh, Ready Player One reality going on? Yeah, he did, and I think it's. I don't. I think it's even just failed. I don't even think it's. Did they even do anything with it? But it's. But we're still trapped into these. You know, our phones, our screens. I ha- I spent a lot of time in front of the screen. A lot of time, and, yeah. and it's it's. You know, when we were kids, even when we were teenagers, the only screen was a TV, and and maybe um you had a PlayStation or a Nintendo or something hooked up to it, and. But the whole idea of screen time was a, was a foreign concept. Like when we would hang out with friends, when I'd hook up with them, you know, finally find them, sometimes we'd hang out at the house and watch a movie or something. But a lot of times we would pile in cars and just go somewhere. Did you, when you were a kid, did you have a two TV house? Did you have multiple TVs in the house? Because we only had one. 
There like was, it was in yeah, the living was, it was in the living room and you watched whatever they were watching or right. you got there first and turned it on. I think my parents had one in their room and then we had one in the like family room. Yeah. But, but that it was uncommon for people to to have more than two. Well we 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 did things. You would go places. And and people still do, but it's like that they bring their their television with them. We don't bring we don't bring just the television. We bring a little computer that has everything. more tech. It has more technology packed into it than the space shuttle had in the eighties. <laughs> we uh, by like a hundred bazillion times. I had, um, or I saw I saw a photo around New Year's of I think it was the Eiffel Tower or the Arc de Triomphe. I said that right. Uh, Arc de Triomphe. Or the um, yeah, bien sûr. What do they call that street there? The um, where the Tour de France finishes. The um, Champs Elysees. Champs Elysees. Champs Elysees. It might have been people on the Champs the Champs Elysees. Oh, okay. And it's a two-mile stretch between the Louvre and the Arc de Triomphe. Yeah, the Louvre is where the palace used to be. And, well, it is. Uh, it's the old palace. Excuse me. The palace is still there. They just turned it into a big museum. And, Keep going. Uh, it was like New Year's Eve, and everybody in the photo is watching the events of the countdown of the evening. The ball drop through their phone. The Every, French, the French ball drop. Everybody, and maybe we can find this photo and post it. But I just thought nobody is actually living this moment live. They're all watching it through their screens, and I understand wanting to record it and all that, but. Not everything, not everything in your life needs to be videotaped. Not everything needs to be recorded. You don't have to take a picture of It was everything. one of those moments like the, the photo of everybody watching the election results with their masks on. Right. America that's an has iconic, decided. It's an America, that's an iconic photo. Yeah, that, that was like the, the photo. quintessential COVID shot. Right. Everybody entranced on a screen. Masked up, brain dead, zombie, zombified, and in the background, America has decided. <laughs> but, um, but I, I guess we've kind of we've kind of gone on a little bit of a, a tangent here that started from you. You mentioned well, digital public, public infrastructure. infrastructure. And I, I don't know why I brought that up. We were you were lamenting. Well, you brought it up in context of the church, church creating yeah. that. Why and why we were talking about church news, like who who's participating in this particular uh corner of the digital reality? I want to say digital prison, but <laughs> it right. is kind of, it's like a, it's the matrix it it's a prison for your mind to quote morpheus from the matrix it, but but again you don't it doesn't have to be i mean you can go there and get news and get out of it it's just is is that what it is or what's what is going on well i think it's enlighten us bobby flood i uh <laughs> good luck with that i think that it, it's what we started the podcast with it's messaging and so if you if you cover a, a temple dedication for example they don't just have a newswire that says Lima Peru temple dedicated what they do is they run a story and they have multiple photos and they show the it's coordinated is what you're saying well it's they they show the apostles in the white suits and they show some other dignitaries and 
There's always a summary of what was said, and it it runs this, it, it presents this image that all is well, and look at us, we're we're dedicating temples, therefore, you know, like... But it's what we're saying is it's isolated us, and this, I think the, the, the idea that where I had taken it had, had uh, uh, developed out of the comment that you made that everything has become centralized, and we've spent some time mm-hmm. in previous episodes lamenting or being nostalgic, you know, walking down memory lane about how things were different when we were younger and what the, what the church used to be especially in Utah. Mm-hmm. And then it got centralized. Everything got centralized. And, and we've kind of walked through that history about how that happened. But now it's, it's so centralized that we've become isolated. We, and it, it, I don't know that that is uh, necessarily um, just a result of the idea that the larger world has become digitized. We could say, well, if you can't beat them, join them, and we just jumped into it. But no, the... The church had an opportunity, and all churches have had an opportunity to be a, an oasis in this digital desert. Right. And, and that's, I think, what we're lamenting, because not only, the question is, number one, why haven't we become that oasis? Why didn't we maintain and hold that ground, so to speak, when this was all uh, happening, like, a, like waves washing upon the island or something? Why didn't we do that? Rather, we embraced it, but I'm not, I'm not sure that we embraced it. It seems like we front-ran it. That's, the, that's mm-hmm. the part that's bugging me, and that's what I think bugs me relative to the hiring of Shirini. And it's like, right. um, I don't think he, rep- maybe he represents the ideal progmo, but I don't think he represents the rest of us. I mean, d- I well, guess they've got the internal polling. See, that's, and that's where I... Speaking of polling, I've got an article here from Zero Hedge, and you, you're going to finish your thought. But there's one about how the elites hate us. Well, of course, they and they've hate done. Us. But they, but there was some guys that actually have done what we said we were going to do. Go out. They've gone out and done polling. I never said we were going to do that. I said somebody ought to go do I it. I know you're right. So I'm glad they listened to us. You're right. You're right. right but anyway, go, go ahead. No, I was just saying. Shocking. Shocking poll exposes how much the elites hate us. It's this is a poll. Uh, a broad-based poll of American society, and they talk about how the top 1% uh, favor all of these anti-human, anti-humanity ideas like uh, climate controls and stuff like that. Anyway, you were going to say, I I cut you short. uh, These people believe they're literal God kings and that we we exist. Well, I'm surprised that the top 1% doesn't realize they're just the cream of the crop of the human resource right. herd. They're, they're just they're, us. They're, 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 they're the Eloy. They're not part of the Morlocks. They're, they're just us that got that that got rich. They're just good at wealthy. the system. But what I was going to say is, to finish the thought on the Sherinian hiring, is, is I, I <laughs> believe... <laughs> That's the final thought on the Sherinian hire. <laughs> I look at it and I just say, they did this on purpose. Because a lot of people, I've seen a lot of people out there going, I don't understand this hiring. You know, why would they hire this guy? And it's like, why indeed? Well, there's no doubt that that this particular hire was very, very scrutinized. And deliberate. And, and deliberate. And the, and the message sent to us was, this is who we are. Well, I don't know if they intended... You know, some things they don't want to get out. This wasn't publicized, was it? Yeah, it was. It was. They they pr- they promoted they, it. They had a 
uh, promoted the promoter. Yeah. And so the message was, this is who we are. This is who we want you to be. This is the, the, and, and you asked, you talked about like, you know, the, the, the internal polling and the progmos versus whatever. Like, I think the church is sending the message that they're okay with people who disagree with this hiring going away. Uh, I, I think that's, I think that they look at the old school. We, we talked about this last week, right? I'm not seeing where they announced it on Church News. I searched for Sherinian there. And um, I, it might have been actually a newsroom. Oh, that's LDS. different. Org, okay. Which is okay. different. So you have two places to go. But I, I, the, the, it's the only message I can come away from it is other than, oh, they just didn't know who this guy was, which is absurd to think that. I mean, like I said last week, I took a few minutes on the internet and these websites you know, are really knew tough. Who this guy was. I mean, it's like you remember when you learned how to format like advertisements and and you know papers and things like you know for graphic mm-hmm. design and stuff. Mm-hmm. And and if you bold everything, everything's bold. You can't see anything right. if it's all bold, right? If everybody's special, then nobody's, nobody's special. Nobody's special. <laughs> That's uh, the Incredibles. That's syndrome. That's what's going on here on these websites. Everybody's wearing a tie wearing a white shirt or whatever, right? and they're all smiling. It's all these generally old people, people <laughs> over 40 that are just smiling at you. It's like everybody is shaking hands and smiling, walking around smiling, and it's like overlord. Nothing, I don't get anything out of this website. <laughs> so, right. Except that everybody's smiling. And <laughs> I think there are a lot of people who say, oh, that's great. It shows how happy we are. No, 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 you don't understand. The messaging here is that nothing is important. Nothing is anything, right? From a from a like a reader uh, response, you know what what the what the person who's looking at this is going to take away from it. This is not good well, messaging for the vast resources that the church. It's not effective, has, is what I mean. With the vast resources the church has, they lag behind in their web. Presence. No, I'm, I'm like s- the the back end. I've I've worked on with the back end of the site, right? Be- and it's awful. Okay, the, but I'm just saying there. The I think they might be awful. front. They might be front running where we're headed because right. They're, they've they're, of moved. They are. They've moved ahead, and then when when everybody's special, nobody is. That whole thing applies. What, what uh, it seems like that's what the the United Nations, the World Economic Forum, wants the internet to be is nothing. Right. We we had a a very diverse, very Rice interesting, cakes. a very interesting internet there for a long time, and then social media came along, and now all the women have the duck lips and the <laughs> Botox or whatever it is. They're all wearing the same thing, you know. Every when everybody's special, nobody is right. That ma- that right. makes sense. What I, podcast listeners, does this not make sense? What I'm saying here, please <laughs> chime in. I'm looking at the newsroom here. I don't see any news about the Sherinian hire. I'm searching. Well, it looking. would have been a while ago. How long ago? I don't know. Two or three weeks now. I did the search. I searched. Yeah, well, their search is terrible. So I guess I just said that that's what the reality is, is you can't <laughs> find anything and nothing makes any sense and it doesn't matter. It's like the, um, the guides we talked about where they talked about where they wrote that you should expect change and that core gospel principles that you thought were eternal actually change all the time. It's hard to find those on the website. 
but they are there. But yeah, I mean that's I guess you know the new uh, the new and improved Salt Lake Temple and and Temple Square is going to have the all the it's going to fly the flags of all the countries recognized by the UN. We're gonna have a big flag square, sort of like it sort of makes sense at the MTC. Is that the new Main Street Plaza reopening? Well, I don't know. It's just whatever the new whatever they're doing up there is going to have, you know, a big shrine to the UN. <clears throat> and and again, I think that's not nothing happens by mistake when you have blueprints and many dollars and people involved. It's not just many dollars. We're talking about massive amounts of money being sunk into this stuff. No, the the temple renovation, the Salt Lake Temple renovation has got to be a billion dollar project well it's got it's probably eclipsing city creek and everything else combined i mean they're essentially rebuilding the temple from the inside out well they've also dug down and extended they've they've hidden the annex Mm -hmm. one of we've talked about this before i think one of the most uh, alarming aspects of this is that they're going to have ceiling rooms below the below ground Mm -hmm. and so unless you're like a celebrity you're not going to get sealed up on the third floor anymore well and the the losing the symbolism I noticed I went to the open house, speaking of the Orem Temple, and that bas- baptismal font is above ground, which again, it's, you know, the symbolism of all this is being discarded. Yeah. And maybe you're fine with that. Maybe you look at that and go, oh, it's just symbolism. But I, as if you followed our show over the years, well, you know how important symbol, we think symbolism is. And- either the temple is a template of the cosmos or it is not. Right. Well, it's just a milestone or something. It's in the vineyard I, or near vineyard. I, uh, I think it's relevant. I'm not trying to change the topic. I'm wrapping in another, ahead, another topic. tangent that we're going to th- weave into this tapestry of tangents. tangents. Tapestry of tangents. That's a good name for one of our podcasts. Tapestry I, of I, tangents. I watched, uh, I watched um, Keep Sweet, Pray, and Obey. This is about the Mormon fundamentalists under Warren Jeffs? Right. Right. That's an alarming expose. Did on you that watch whole. that? My wife did. I kind of yeah. listened in a few times. It's an alarming expose, and it's meant to be that way. And obviously, they make Warren Jeffs look really bad, and that's not hard to do. No. Um, but there was some things beyond that that I found really interesting and relevant. And I thought, I, I kept finding myself saying... The line between LDS and FLDS is very thin. Well, no, it's not. The line is polygamy. Right. But, but beyond that, the line is thin. When, you, what I'm you're, saying, you're is, saying if you look past the surface, <laughs> what I'm saying is that the reason poly- polygamy um, is, is allowed to occur in that community is because the prophet says so. And you have people who, and it's easy as an outsider, right? You look, you watch this film and you go, how could you guys, come on, wake up. And then you, then the person will say something like, the person being interviewed will say something like, now that I'm on the outside, I can see better. But on the inside, I was terrified because my salvation depended on following the prophet. And I was like, that's the same language. That's what they said in Keep Sweet. They would, these yeah, people I'm, that would I'm come out of it. I'm paraphrasing and summarizing, but yeah, people who had come out of it say, you know, 
with the benefit of hindsight, I realized like how how irrational it was or but you know and and plus they were so young a lot of these women that are interviewed are talking about things that happened to them when they were 14 15 16 17 years old and the and in their minds it's like we were doing what's right because we were doing what the prophet told us to do Mm -hmm. and obviously warren jeffs took it really far really far to you know disgusting horrible places but the, that what allowed him to do that was this power he had over people because he was the prophet, and they allowed behaviors that should have been checked much sooner to occur because he was the prophet. And when I say the line between FLDS and LDS is thin, what I'm saying is that we tend to do the same thing in the sense that, well, this is right because the prophet says it's right, and I think that can be dangerous. And, well, and what it does is it harms our own independent spiritual capacity. I have a I have a thought that kind of goes along with that. I, and I mean, I think you're making a good point about um, we yeah. ought, we ought to see that if if we if we uh, if we look down upon the Catholic faith because they have this papal fixation mm-hmm. right fixation on the pope being infallible and you got to do what the pope says and if we look down upon the fundamentalist mormons like the warren jeff's community for reasons like you know you just explained that they that they were ultra focused on following the prophet and they were stuck in it because they believed they were stuck in a mind prison essentially mm-hmm. because they thought that their salvation depended on following warren jeff's at every whim then rule on Jeffs before that. Yeah, if 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 that's the way we behave, and if we don't step back and acknowledge, or at least attempt to determine if that type of behavior is going on in our own lives, that makes us what a hypocrite. I believe right. that's the term that's used in the in the Bible. And related to what you just said, I want to point out that um, COVID was kind of an interesting accidental experiment on the the whole um i want to use I'm, I'm looking for the right word here the stickiness the the uh pull the magnetism of the church because people the church shut down and they caused everybody to take a break and right, the w- government enforced the LDS Church to shut right, down in right. Utah. There, well, the, the, the LDS States. Church allowed the LDS Church to shut down in Utah. The LDS Church has a great deal of influence in the government of oh, the yeah. state of Utah. But tech, but the timeline, they the church shut itself down before school closures and lockdowns. Yeah, the it was church a couple front, days before. was front running it. Then there was the earthquake. Then Moroni threw his trumpet to the ground in disgust. <laughs> but what, what I'm trying to say is, uh, let, me, let me try to take another approach to this. We have a, in our culture this idea that Sabbath day church attendance is critical and that you need to go to your meetings, you need to go to your young men's and young women's activities. You know, you got to keep busy in the church. Mm-hmm. And so every time you turn around if you have a life and you've you've got a job and kids and stuff it's like before you're ready for it if if you're a teacher you know how this feels cuz you're always you know every, this weekly cycle occurs and pretty soon it's saturday and you're thinking i've got a lesson on sunday and then on sunday morning you're going i didn't prepare anything cuz i didn't have time 
or or maybe you did because you're a woman <laughs> and you're not a not one of these guys that's flying by the seat of your pants you've got it be- you've got it together better than the guys or something like that and you didn't just prepare a lesson you prepared a centerpiece also but maybe you stressed out a little bit about it okay <laughs> right but anyway what i'm saying is we don't have time to think about it and the cycle keeps us engaged and we don't have a chance to to step back and look at what's going on. So we don't have time to think about things like you just brought up about the the fixation on the profit in the fundamentalist in the Warren Jeffs community. What would be the harm except that you'd be quote breaking the Sabbath or not fulfilling what you thought was your duty, you'd be quote unquote sinning in the eyes of many of your neighbors if you stepped back for a while, if you just took a break from the organization, if you said, okay, you know what? For the next three months, I'm going to do a church fast. Mm -hmm. I'm going to see if my life is any different. And this is weird for me to propose this because, you know, I I definitely have been in the uh, category of, no, we need to just do, that's who we are. That's what we do. Let's just do it. You know, don't don't step back. It's the right thing to do. There's a quote that I want to point out from that J. Reuben Clark said, a quote that he said. J. Reuben Clark said something that's become a thing that we quote a lot. And he said, if we have the truth, it cannot be harmed by investigation. And if we have not the truth, it ought to be harmed. Right. Right? It's, and, and I think the same thing applies to taking a break. But he's dead. <laughs> he hasn't aged well, has he? His quote does not age as well as collector cars and uh, comic books. Right. Is that what you're trying to say? Right. Baseball cards? <clears throat> right. Well, anyway, my point is that... He didn't even smash his if, water bottles. If, if, it's the, if it's that good for us and if it's that important and if we're strong, we ought to be able to take a break from it and, and go, you know what, that is really important. But rather, I think the reverse occurred during COVID. A lot of people thought to themselves, what is this doing for me? Is this really... Um, well, we were forced into a church fast. Yeah, and, and, and the question was is this really good for me? Is this, a, is this a good thing? And I think um, the question of truth wasn't really asked. It was more, is it necessary? Are these things helpful? Mm-hmm. And so you might be listening to this going, well, it doesn't matter if it's necessary or helpful. It's, it's the right thing to do. That's what God wants us to do. And so I'm not saying that people... The, the, the fast caused people to lose faith in God so much as it caused them to lose a desire or, a, or shall, dare I say, faith in an institution well, or, or confidence that, the, that we're, the things we're doing actually matter to our salvation. Post, Post-COVID attendance is definitely down. And I, I can't say it's down across the board, but I think it's down here in the, in the Utah. And it's not necessarily the same people week in, week out, but I just think that the message was sent that, hey, you know what? This going to church on a weekly basis isn't as important as we used to say it was. Haven't there been some attempts to revive weekly attendance, like that your salvation is dependent on Sabbath observance? Yeah, maybe, but... I Again, mean, from, like, from top leadership, from, from uh, senior leadership. Haven't I mean, we heard a little bit of Oaks, that Elder in the Oaks last couple of years? Elder Oaks gave that talk, the importance of a church, I think it was called. 
This was a couple of conferences. Ago, essentially, wasn't it? said if you don't go to LDS sacrament meeting, you aren't going to be exalted. Well, that was sort of a two birds with one stone type of a talk. You know, number one, but, we're the true church, and number two, guys get back to church. But again, the the church shut itself down without any resistance. They just did it, and and I think what you have are people who are still, you know, active members of the church in our parlance. But who in the past, maybe they went on vacation, right? They went on, a, maybe there's a Monday holiday, a long weekend, and they go on vacation. And in the past, they would have come home Saturday night so they could make it to church on Sunday. And now they just stay through Sunday and they come home Monday or even just a regular weekend, right? And they, instead of coming home Saturday night or rushing home Sunday morning, they, they stay on their vacation instead of go to church. I think there's more of stuff like that. I think so. You would say the trend amongst the rank and file is that we got the message. It's not that important. No matter what what you say, what, some, what, what some, you do, what you do shouts louder than what you say. And I think you have the same issue going on with um, home teaching, right? Home teaching it used to be you go every month and you go into the homes. And you visit with people, and you say what you want. You know, it wasn't a perfect program, but the, the standard was monthly visit in the home. And then with ministering, they said, "Ah, you can just whenever send a text. It doesn't really matter." And so now, no one does anything. Uh, you certainly aren't going monthly into a home. And I've started to see a new a renewal of this idea. Like, we got to get into the homes. You should get into the homes of your ministering family. And I'm like, why? That's not going to happen. Because now you've told people that it wasn't really that important to get into the homes because you just said, on a whim almost, it felt like, right? Oh, you don't need to do that. This type of thing is going to take a generation to rebuild. I mean, they and that that was a major misstep if they wanted that to occur because... You know, everybody that um, even thought a little bit about it is going, look, they don't care about it. I, why should I care about it? I didn't want to do it anyway. Right. And that's, that's the part of the point is like... And then, and then you ask the question, you know, they, they're, they're going to start giving lip service to the numbers and the program. And, and you have to say, well, if you love it so much, why don't you do it? You know? Right. And they don't. Nobody's doing it. And that's part of the point is why nobody's doing it because... It was sort of begrudging or got, became begrudging. Again, I'm speaking for the Utah culture. In the first place, it was. And so they took it away, and everyone, it took everyone, you know, correct me if you think I'm wrong here, but I, I think when the announcement was made that, hey, you don't have to go to the house every month, there was a big sigh of relief. Oh, yeah. At least among the brethren, the men. Well, I know there were discussions going on in our elders' quorum about home teaching, like it, it was losing steam. Right. In our neighborhood, at least. And so they said, well, you can send text messages. And so people did that for a minute, but it didn't work. And I, if I'm being honest, and I usually am, I try to be. <laughs> I don't I'll tell know, you when I'm not being honest. I don't know who I'm assigned to, and I don't know who's assigned to my family as far as ministering brethren. I, I don't know. And it's like, but. 
ministering, the, the, the real word, the small m, ministering, is happening in the neighborhood. People are taking care of each other and looking yeah. after each other. It just isn't getting reported to the elders quorum president or notched off or whatever, and it's not necessarily happening between the assigned families because it's unnatural to do that. It's unnatural to, especially in the term, the word ministering, which has been ruined. In, in our culture, same way with the Jesus' words, come follow me, have been ruined. Now it's, come follow me, reading and come follow me. We've got to read the weekly, come follow me. It's just a title of a program, yeah. of a curriculum, and yeah. kind of ruined those words. They've done that with a lot of words. They've co-opted <clears throat> but se- it, several it, phrases. To sort of tie this tapestry together, but the whole thing we've been talking about with Sherinian and FLDS and all of this messaging is, it 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 all i think is designed to make it harder for us to be spiritually independent now i don't mean don't go to church what i mean is that every one of us has to be uh, spiritually independent meaning we have our own testimony we have our own relationship with god and with the scriptures and we receive our own revelation and the irony here is the church leadership will say those words, right? Yeah, but they also will simultaneously teach that whatever you get from God or the, through the Holy Ghost will not contradict the, right, the mean, things that have been put forth by the brethren. In the Think Celestial Talk, President Nelson said, never take counsel from those who do not believe. Instead, take counsel from voices you can trust, prophets, seers, and revelators and the whisperings of the Holy Ghost. And it's like, well, what if the whisperings of the Holy Ghost aren't jiving with the counsel from the prophets, seers, Then it's the devil that's talking to you. You know, and, and, and an easy example, right, is the COVID shot. It's an easy example where a lot of people felt like the shot wasn't right for them, and they felt like it, it was a spiritual prompting. And then the prophet says, it's a literal godsend, and we urge everyone to take it. I know of people who said, "Oh, well, in that case, I'll take it." And I know people. Oh, yeah. I know people who said, "I'm still not taking it." Yeah, it's a tough decision. But, but there's other decisions, right? There's other things like. Well, that's and, where a lot and, of, and that's where you have to be spiritually independent. That's the only. That's the only relationship you can have with God. You can't have a vicarious relationship. You can't have one that has a gatekeeper, because then you just have a relationship with that person. And then you, if you, you look at the extreme example of that, and that's like this documentary on the FLDS. The people thought that Warren Jeffs was God on earth, literally God on earth, and a relationship with him meant that you had a relationship with God, and he was the gatekeeper. And he abused that, you know, it, he's the ultimate example of, uh, you know, the Doctrine of Covenants warning that all men with a little power and authority, as they suppose, mm-hmm. begin to exercise unrighteous dominion. And he committed crimes, like really bad crimes. Like criminal crimes. Like criminal crimes, and if you believe some of the... He's in jail, if, you're not, if you haven't been paying attention, he's in the, like forever. jail forever. But still, for abusing young girls uh, well, but, and stealing everybody's money. But, but still running the church, if you believe the documentary, through 
communication. Well, that's the power of follow the prophet. Right. And it, he might be guilty of, uh, if you believe some of the uh, accusations and allegations in the Hamblin case, Jeff's, though I believe maybe unnamed, just that community may have farmed out some boys <laughs> to be sacrificed. Mm. It gets so dark. It really does. But, um, but the point being here is, is you, you have to have your, your mind has to be independent. And I think that Joseph Smith taught that, right? He, he said that we've all got to, and I'm paraphrasing, but we've all got to seek, essentially all have to seek the experience that he had. And it's funny, we're reading, you know, the Come Follow Me <laughs> is the Book of Mormon, right, this year. Okay. And we're going through the early parts of the Book of Mormon where Nephi, young Nephi, being young and and large in stature, (laughs) desires to know the truth of what his father's saying, right? And he asks his brothers who are like, this is stupid. We don't need to do this. He's like, have you inquired of the Lord? Which is a good question. And they're like, no, he doesn't talk to us. He's made no such thing known unto us. But Nephi desires to know, so he inquires of the Lord, and the Lord doesn't just say, Nephi, follow the prophet. <laughs> Nephi, you are the prophet. He's, he said, he, the Lord shows Nephi exactly what he showed Lehi. Nephi, how long can you tread water? <laughs> he shows him the same vision. And of course, Nephi went on to have incredible visions. He had the what I call the apocalyptic IMAX vision, right? The IMAX he, he version. He saw the whole thing. The vision of all. And there's nothing preventing us from having the same types of visions and experiences except us and our unwillingness to, to accept that that should and could be happening today. And it's you know it's our own, it's our own mind. we're stuck in a mind prison that I think prevents us from having those theophanies. Yeah, there there's a strange uh, psychology of this whole thing that goes on, and that is the the idea that we say that we believe these men are fallible, and therefore expect that they're going to make mistakes, but then we turn around and say, you've got to do everything that they say, right? Well, you've got to think everything that they tell you to think. Right. And that, I think that's becoming, you know, the their fallible idea is becoming more accepted among the progmos, the progressive side of the Mormons. I don't like the acronyms. It sounds kind of derogatory. It does. People who, people who are on the left of center, the Democrat, the, the, the wokists, whatever. What, the, what they tend to say is the brethren are, or the church, right? The church leadership, the capital B brethren, are wrong on such and such issues. And that's okay. And some of them will leave the church over it. Others who stay in will say, but I have faith that further light and knowledge is coming. And you see this a lot with the, well, with the LGBTQ++++ crowd they yeah. say we just need to be patient and that this further thing, light and knowledge right. is coming this and, links up to the messaging we're hearing out of the 
Cobb, which is expect change. When we study the past, we sometimes find practices, teachings, and ideas that we thought were unchanging have actually changed quite a bit. Dot, dot, dot. We linked to that, right? Yeah, that opens them up to allowing anything and everything to be a right. quote, it, core it, gospel principle. It leads to this whole, sometimes we're embarrassed by the Book of Mormon. Right, and... and which I, is, no, the, you guys don't realize that early church members around the turn of the century when Utah got its statehood were embarrassed by the Book of Mormon. They didn't necessarily believe the Book of Mormon was a real thing until Nibley got in uh, in those circles and taught them about the historicity of the Book of Mormon, the, the right. potential that it has its roots in the ancient world because the text itself appears to have its roots in the ancient world. And there's, right. a bit, there's been a lot of tug-of-war between scholars since the 1950s, but Nibley brought it back. I, be, Mormons <clears throat> don't understand that it was not well accepted by the early church after Joseph died. And, and right. he brought it back. And, and uh, this li- thing we linked to last week uh, about juicing up your Book of Morning, Mormon reading this year with Grant Hardy, I, I find it super problematic because, you know, he says we're embarrassed by the lack of evidence for its historicity, by the racism in it, and no, the he, absence of women, and how it uses the King James Bible. It plagiarizes. Grant, you need to use the word I don't speak for other people. We are not embarrassed. See, that's the thing. I don't find it lacking historicity. I don't find it racist, and I don't find there to be an absence of women. And I don't find the fact that it quotes the King James Bible to be particularly troubling for any reason. This is a... it's It's like we checked our brains at the door. These people who purport to be scholars have lost any... Uh, sense of ancient context or flexibility when they look at these things. It's like they they have accepted that certain things are just wrong, well, they've, and they've accepted the wrong things as wrong and the right, wrong things as right. And their minds have been co-opted by the the cause of the days, the cause du jour. They're, Grant Hardy <clears throat> wants to be accepted by the the the, the prominent scholars of the day. Who are not LDS, most likely, and he, you know, he he doesn't want to lose his credentials. He doesn't want to be canceled, and so he goes along with it. And maybe he truly believes this stuff. He probably does. But the point, like, they, yeah, they believe this stuff and they preach this stuff, and I think and it's all be. It's the same reason that uh, you know, it's it's like the it's why the church hired Sherinian, or maybe one of the reasons, because they want to send the message that. We're just like you guys. Hey, no, no, we don't really believe this stuff. It's just, it's we got to go along with it until we can reinterpret it. It's our folklore. It's our mythology. It's our origin story. And listen, we're working on it. And I, I've said it on this show, and I believe it because I think the church is preparing itself to essentially distance itself from Joseph and the Book of Mormon. Well, ha- you say to potentially, hasn't that already happened? Well, it Do we talk about Joseph very much no, anymore? They, I don't see that. They distanced themselves from Joseph very subtly and incrementally, but it's, it's happening. And I think they're doing the same with the Book of Mormon. Now, they, that, that's a huge step. And so they still got to kind of pay lip service to it while also, you know, as we're studying the Book of Mormon this year and we're celebrating the Book of Mormon, but also, you know what? should probably be a little bit embarrassed by it and because and, it's racist and there's a lot of misogyny and, and, and probably 
there's some implied homophobia and also they didn't even wear masks. <laughs> you know, so just, <laughs> I want to address these points. I mean, I, 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 you know, I don't necessarily want to spend the next several hours talking about it. Nephi was unvaccinated. So I'm going to just, I'm going to, I'm going to rely on Hugh Nibley here, but his book, uh, an approach to the Book of Mormon is really important. If you haven't read that and really studied the footnotes and looked into what he's trying to say there, then you haven't given it a chance as far as historicity goes. Another comment to make on the historicity of it is that it is a religious text and a, a very spiritual text. And so if you're going to uh, look for the historicity in the Book of Mormon, you kind of have to look at it on the same level as the Doctrine and Covenants. The Doctrine and Covenants was written in America during the, uh, the 19th century, the 1800s, and uh, we don't look at, is, look at the Doctrine and Covenants as if it is a history of America. But people, you know, a thousand years from now might say the Doctrine and Covenants didn't, you know, was written by somebody uh, 500 years from now because they can't find the historical events to match it up. That's like right. looking at the Book of Mormon and saying, well, we don't see all of this stuff in the, in the Nephite record. We don't see all the stuff we find in the Nephite record in the archaeological record, therefore it must be made up. Right. You know? Now, granted, the Book of Mormon has a lot more detail about events that, that occurred, but what you have in the plates of Nephi is a record that Nephi wrote years after those things happened. And I believe he also intended to weave into his historical narrative uh, allegorical elements. Uh, Alma chapter 37 gives us a hint as to how they understood it because Alma's talking to his son Helaman and he says something about the, the Liahona being a type and a shadow, a symbol. Mm-hmm. And so Nephi probably cherry-picked historical events to try to tell about the cosmic narrative that he wanted to teach his uh, descendants. And so he has a great water-crossing story. We, we see lots of water-crossing stories in history. It's not just Noah. It's not just the Jaredites. It's not just the Israelites coming over the, the Red Sea. You know? But you've got, all the, you've got tons of cultures with Noah stories. But you've also got Odysseus who has to try to get home right. or to the promised land. You know, there are lots of, lots of water crossing stories. And so that, that would have been right at home in Nephi's ancient world. And uh, so Joseph must have just somehow conjured up a couple of water crossing stories because he knew that scholars would someday say, oh, see, that's a, a feather in his cap. <laughs> you know, uh, he, they were, there were ancient water crossing stories and they were allegorical or whatever doesn't mean that Nephi didn't cross the ocean. Right. I mean, he, you know, you could say it's just totally allegorical, but if he came from the old world to the new world, he had to cross the ocean. Right. You know, so so he tells the story in such a way that it also has allegorical elements and and you and know, he did it he did it with slave labor and without any women. And he became racist over it. But <laughs> That, that that brings you know most of First Nephi is uh, visionary. There are elements of Isaiah copied into it, and um, you very, you get very little history if you really look at the the Nephite record, First uh, and Second Nephi. Second Nephi is almost entirely prophecy and uh, um, interpretation of prophecy and the words of Isaiah, which now, are great. 
which I got I to gotta bring up the King James Bible because that's where the King James Bible gets copied in. And if you understand the context in the ancient world, I know I'm going on a rant here. I'm not going to go on a rant about racism in the absence of women, okay? I'll make a couple of quick comments on, on that. I mean, okay. but... Um, You're going on a grant rant? Yeah, a grant. <laughs> but listen, Isaiah's original text, if you understand where the language was, uh, even we even see it at the start of the Book of Mormon. It says it was written in the language of the Egyptians. It was probably written in Demotic or some some form of uh, hieroglyphic, okay? Demotic is essentially like a cursive hieroglyphic, right? Which means it can be understood phonetically and I pictographically, right? right. The pictures mean things, and then they also spell out words that are related to pictograms. That's how they expressed uh, understanding in their language, their written language. So I just have to ask you all, if you had found a copy of the Gettysburg Address written in hieroglyphs, would you reinterpret it, or would you go back to a known source that everybody understands and throw in the English language version of the Gettysburg Address? Four score and seven years ago, our forefathers brought forth on this continent a new nation, conceived in liberty and dedicated to the proposition that all men are created equal. Blah, 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 blah. Even though there's even though there are actual lies in the De- Gettysburg Address. You know, <laughs> four score and seven years ago, our forefathers did not bring forth on the continent a new nation. They brought forth 13 free and independent <laughs> nation states, okay? But all of that aside, you put the text that everybody knows into your text. It's not right. considered plagiarism when, when you've located Isaiah and you use the commonly understood version in your... Uh, in your record, in, 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 the, in the work that you're trying to put forth so that people have better understanding. That is not, the fact that there's King James in the Book of Mormon is not a good logical reason to think that Joseph Smith plagiarized things. Right. And then the racism um, well, thing. Well, there's a whole other factor of the other 500 pages. Yeah, besides that. And that's where, again, I refer you to Hugh Nibley's work on this. You can read Approach to the Book of Mormon, and you can read uh, Tinkling Symbols and Sounding Brass. I mean, he's done all the work, and when people send me this anti-Mormon stuff, I I feel like I have to go back and respond to some of it. And so I'll go back into it, and I feel like I'm just covering the same ground Nibley covered, because they make bad arguments, and they have these amateurish arguments about uh, Joseph Smith. And granted, you know, we can't know for sure. Right, there is an element of belief here. You, you get to decide have, what you want to believe, just like any religious um, conundrum. You you have to decide: is there something beyond the veil, or is this physical, material experience, and all of this logic, and you know, all the crap that's going on here? Is that just it? You know, in matters of faith, there's a little bit of a ambiguity. You have to. You receive no witness until after the trial of your faith. Have ye inquired of the Lord? <laughs> but uh, yeah, they, it's it's we're living through something. We're living through something, and uh, I think it's important to be as spiritually independent, meaning you are self sufficiently. Uh, your relationship with God is self-sufficient. You're not relying on on anybody else. And uh, 
because you're going to need you're going to need to fall back on that. I think in the, and in and the near say future, this, it is not racist to separate yourself from your brothers if they want to kill you. Right. Okay. Well, and then but then you've got the whole the the curse. I don't know where the, the dark idea, skin and the savages. I don't know where the idea the came from that somehow because a small group of people in the New World were cursed with skin of blackness that that's the origin story of people from Africa or something. Like I I read that and I think it was pro it was a curse. It was a skin of blackness. I and it, they said it made it undesirable. I think I look at that and say that they were like like their skin was like like some sort of something out of a horror film, like a, like a leprosy or like really, really burnt. And, but I don't know. We're not getting, it could have been that bad. It also, it also could be that that is more of a more figurative language that they, right. You, you, you have uh, seen people who uh, change their way of life and they be, they become separated from what you would find attractive. And, you know, in the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, and He uh, separated light from darkness, I mean, are we are we gonna not allow that a little bit of a figurative right understanding that the light and the dark is always um, a metaphor for uh, knowledge and ignorance and right. and truth and error and stuff. So the the skin of blackness could have been a reference to something less specifically um, color-focused, you know? Now, I could understand an argument that subsequent people came along later and read those verses or uh, and also were caught up in the popular uh, opinions of the time and instituted racist policies as the church did, <laughs> and it took them a long time to reverse those, and that's a mm-hmm. whole other can of worms, and there's not really ever been any good explanation for why uh, black people of yeah. African descent were denied priesthood ordination. And of course, that's been misinterpreted a lot to mean they were, they were not allowed to be members of the church, and, you know, but regardless, the church is still— There's a lot of McConkieism in there. 40 plus years later they're still getting heat from from that history and you know they and people often critics often point to the book of mormon and say see see the the book of mormon is racist and now we have our own scholars saying the same thing who well, needs they, enemies they were from the <laughs> same yeah who needs enemies they were from the same race. I mean, technically, these are Judahites. Mm-hmm. Actually, they were a tribe of Manasseh. <laughs> right. But they had come from a city of Judahites, or Jews, and they brought with them that culture and that race, and they were all that race until they separated. Right. And because the... Um, well, they also integrated with the people there, the... the depending on where you believe the Book of Mormon took place. They mm-hmm. integrated with M- Mayan, Aztec types, you know, Mexicans, Guatemalans, mm-hmm. or if you believe it was in the North American theory, then, the, you know, the North American Indians. And there was yeah, they, co-mingling uh, They definitely instantly. mentioned the Mulekites, right? Right. The, the people of Zarahemla, they run into. 
so I don't the, the racism is to is to um you know to, to basically to look at somebody else because of their ethnicity and say they have no potential. Right. In the case of uh Nephi and Lehi, he basically said these guys are going to be undesirable and they're going to be a scourge. Um and there needs to be a separation because they're trying to kill you. They're trying to kill you and they don't they don't want to embrace the the truth. You know? Do we see that 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 carries all the way through to the end of the Book of Mormon? No, the Lamanites, when they repent, meaning change or expand their minds, they become the preferred, dare I say, race or segment of the <laughs> tribe, race. Culture. Tribe culture. They become the preferred um segment of the population and and have the 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 best influence on the people at a certain point in the Book of Mormon because they shifted away from the false traditions of their fathers back to the reality back to the right. the understanding of the hidden reality that uh those who had had the theophany those who had had the apocalyptic vision of all that you explained had taught and and the main message of the nephite priest is that this world is cut off and you're not getting the full picture from from the people in this world you need to you need to make that connection with the heavens so so we don't see that kind of racism where you're just putting people down just because of who they are. No, there's the repentance is like the main right. message. Change your heart and mind to the reality. Change your heart and mind to this, this understanding, and you then can, can gain knowledge uh, by going to the Lord. There's a, it's First Nephi 10, right? Let me pull it up. Be patient. I've got a, while you're pulling that up, and I'll wait until after you read it, but I've got a hypothetical question that we need to address. Well, we can talk about the women. There were obviously women because they had kids and stuff, so we don't need to even worry about the lack of women. (laughs) Yeah, but none of them are are named Jordan. None of them are the heroes of the story. We don't have a female main character, female protagonist. Therefore, it is... So? It is... Misogynist? Problematic. Well... Actually, says, there's some pretty prominent stories about women. You have uh, Soraya is named, of course, and Nephi's wives, and and the there's wives the girl that the, brings back secret combinations in Ether Chapter Eight. Let's not forget her, <laughs> right? And then, of course, you have the mothers of the the stripling warriors, the girls that dance for the Lamanites and and calm them down. <laughs> you have those that uh, that yeah. that get taken captive at the waters, right? No, there, there's obviously women in the story. Just the, the record passed down from, from father, father to, son. to son. That's just the way the record was. Deal with it, Grant. Well, it's traditionally been the responsibility of the men to keep the knowledge accurate and correct, and we have miserably failed throughout history. We go through these cycles of apostasy all the time, cycles of losing, uh, losing truth and devolution, and then you have to have a bright spot like a Nephi, like a Joseph Smith, somebody, Jesus, for example, who comes back and tries to restore knowledge that should help us remember who we really are and the fact that this is a fallen world and that God is going to come burn it at some point. So pull your head out. I hate speech. 
Hate speech hate here speech. on the Mind Virus podcast. Here, here's what I wanted to read because this is the message of the Book of Mormon in in uh, in a nutshell. I, Nephi, was desirous also that I might see and hear and know of the things that my father saw by the power of the Holy Ghost, which is the gift of God unto all, including the Lamanites, who, those who diligently seek him, as well in times of old as in the times that he should manifest himself unto the children of men. For he, God, is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And the way is prepared for all men, all men, Regardless of race, I'm adding a few terms in here just so you see that it's clear. The way is prepared for all men from the foundation of the world. If it so be that they repent, metanoia, change their hearts and minds, and come unto him. For he that diligently seeketh shall find, and the mysteries of God shall be unfolded unto them by the power of the Holy Ghost, by the power of the Holy Ghost, as well in these times as in times of old. And as well in times of old as in times to come, wherefore the course of the Lord is one eternal round. It's the gift of God unto all those who diligently seek him, to see and hear and know these things for themselves. Right, and that's, that's the charge given to all of, the, to all of us in- Except for women, because it says men, right? That's right, because there are no women in the book. I mean, it's just ridiculous. It, it, it is, uh, in a lot of ways, it's been a man's world. And it's really the men that have caused most of the problems. Now, women out there have been complicit in a lot of this, but... Well, and they're having their moment to cause lots of problems now. Uh, you know, we, we look at... <laughs> Modern modern media looks at um, history as if women were always oppressed, and right. I think that it's pretty clear that most families, if you're going to have a working family, you need to have a working relationship between mom and dad. And so throughout history, that's probably been an exception rather than the norm. We're putting women in positions of power, and they're causing plenty of the same problems that men have caused mm-hmm. over the years. But but traditionally, the the... The role of keeping the records straight, keeping the story straight, has been the role of the men, and we have dramatically failed on that point. But it is the charge given to us that we all inquire of the Lord and to learn these things by the power of the Holy Ghost for ourselves, as we learn later in the Book of Mormon. The power of the Holy Ghost will teach us the truth of all things. All things, and I take that literally. Have you inquired of the Lord about all things? Well, you don't need to because there are people out there that just tell you what to do. Never take counsel from those who do not believe. Listen to trusted voices like prophets, seers, and revelators, and the whisperings of the Holy Ghost. We are your single source of truth. I don't feel like the Holy Ghost is whispering a lot lately. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like maybe it's shouting from the rooftops, but your mileage may vary. And it's not to say that prophets, seers, and revelators, or more specifically, the church leaders, don't have lots of good things to say. They sometimes say very good things. Even, you know, President Nelson has given some very good advice 
if you take it in a vacuum, right? He's said many times, you need to seek personal revelation. You need to have a relationship with Jesus. And I agree, 100%. But to do that, to truly do that, means that you become independent spiritually. It means that your relationship with God is direct. And it isn't threaded through bureaucracies and authority and uh, chains of command. It's you and God. Just like Nephi, he wanted to know if what the things his father were telling him were true. And if they really did need to, to, to leave Jerusalem. And what does this thing about a tree and an iron rod and mist of darkness really mean? Yeah, it would have been and kind of a big deal, huh? The Lord said, let me show you. And you, you can have your own vision. At the time, Nephi was a young man. He was, he was essentially a kid when he wanted this. He wasn't rebuked by the Lord he, or the, and the, his dad, Lehi, the prophet. And again, we're not talking the prophet, right? That term, especially after watching Keep Sweet, has just kind of lost its savor with me. But Lehi was one of many prophets. He even says, right? Nephi says early on in the Book of Mormon, there were prophets, multiple prophets, preaching that Jerusalem would be destroyed and preaching this and preaching that, preaching repentance. Multiple prophets, you know, Jeremiah among them, you know, from the Old Testament. But the Lord doesn't rebuke him and says, didn't say, Nephi, you need to, you know, stay in your lane. He says, I'll show you exactly what I showed your prophetic visionary father. Right. He said, um, this is the, the second chapter, verse 16, after he relates the vision that his father had, and then that his father wanted to leave Jerusalem, and they left and dwelt in a tent. Well, at that point, he was probably pretty conflicted, and he says, well, I was young, but I was large in stature, and I had great desires to know the mysteries of God. And so I did cry unto the Lord, and he did visit me, and did soften my heart, such that I did believe all the words which had been spoken by my father. So it didn't start off with him right. knowing everything. He started off with a soft heart. He had to open his heart to I, the idea that maybe I don't understand everything, and maybe I do need to try to understand what these guys are saying from a different perspective. I, I, I have to imagine that Nephi, be, before they tried to kill him, <laughs> probably looked up to his brothers, like most younger brothers do, right? Laman and Lemuel, Laman probably especially was son of a wealthy man in Jerusalem and probably had all the privileges that went along with that, right? Probably popular and well-liked, probably charismatic. And I would imagine that Nephi was a little bit torn in all this. Like, I'm seeing my brothers that I admire. They're saying no. Even my, my mom is conflicted. Right. Once the, once the rubber hit the road, once the hardship occurs and they're in the wilderness, then the unmasking occurs. Who's right. who? Who's, who's who? And Nephi probably had a pretty rude awakening. He, he says uh, he was grieved because of the hardness of their hearts, and he cried unto the Lord for them. He actually cared a lot about his brothers. Right. And he never stopped caring about them. But God warned him right then and there. He's like, look, um, as mu- in as much as your brothers rebel against me, you, (laughs) 
they're going to be cut off from the presence of the Lord. He, he, right before that, he, the Lord had come to him and spoke to him and said, Blessed art thou, Nephi, because of your faith. You've sought me diligently with lowliness of heart. Lowliness of heart, what does that mean? Does it mean you're sad? Does it mean that you feel like you're nothing? Or Because remember, the heart or the heart-mind in the ancient world, I would, I'd prefer to call it the heart-mind because we sometimes talk about the mind. We never talk about the brain in scripture. But the heart in the ancient world is the center of feeling and intellect, not just reckless feeling. In the, mm-hmm. in the modern world, it's become saddled with all these reckless emotions. But in the ancient world, it's the center of thinking, of feeling, and it's, it's, right. a deep, it's the deep inner person's essence. And it's a very important thinking mechanism. Well, that's why the... But it's not divorced from... It's why in the afterlife journey that the Egyptians would weigh the heart. It's not a right. literal thing, right? What they're doing is taking it's very symbolic your character. Right. They, the, that heart is not divorced from uh, feeling. It's just that those feelings are more pure. The emotion was always in the gut. That's why you'd see language like, my bowels were, mm-hmm. are filled with compassion towards you, like that Jesus says. Um, other, other people expressed it that way. The gut has the emotion in the ancient uh, scripture, scriptural um, discussion. But the heart, yeah, you bring up the weighing of the heart ceremony in Egypt. The heart was weighed against a feather. Mm-hmm. And the feather represented in Egypt light and truth, all right? The glory of God is intelligence. In other words, light and truth. It's very Joseph Smithian stuff here. The f- they used the feather because birds had feathers and f- birds flew the highest, and so they would be up in the heavens. And that's why uh, you see these deities represented as birds or with birds' heads. It's not that they worshipped birds. It's because they were symbolically trying to tell you these are beings who go up high to the heavens. This, there's this vertical imagery. I'll refer you back to our cosmological discussion in episode 92 if you want to go look into that. But um, Nephi was seeking the Lord with uh, lowliness of heart, meaning his, he recognized his lack of understanding. He was willing to allow the Lord <clears throat> to build it up his understanding and and Laman and Lemuel had hard hearts. They believed what they had been taught by the heart hierarchy in Jerusalem. They believed the the latest changing interpretations of the religion. And they, I think they probably <clears throat> stood to become part of that hierarchy with all of its benefits. That might be why they were angry that they had to leave because they probably had uh, positions of power that they were eyeing and angling for positions of influence and and uh who knows right the record doesn't tell us very much but it does say that they were fully bought into the prevailing jewish interpretation of the statutes and judgments and the the deuteronomistic law that had essentially been foisted upon the jews when they cleansed the temple at the time of josiah in about 623, 625 BC. The, the story, I don't know if we've talked about it before, but the story basically goes like this. Um, the grandfather of Josiah, he kind of waffled back and forth between the new monotheistic 
Jewish take on the Hebrew religion, and he was cutting down the groves and um, because there was worship of there was attention paid to the goddess, okay, <laughs> the Asherah, the woman that's related to the tree of life, which is interesting because we see that in Nephi's vision. He sees the woman and the tree very clearly, and of course Lehi sees it also. This is the more ancient religion. the The Jews had been getting rid of all this stuff. There was an Asherah tree in Solomon's temple. There were there were references to the goddesses and the other hosts of heaven, and then they they cleansed the temple. They took all of that out, right? The implication in the King James Version in, in, the, in the Bible Old Testament that we have is that that was all good, that Josiah's reforms were good. Now, so Josiah's grandfather was uh, caught up in that, and then his son, Ammon, which is the name of the father god in Egypt, or Ammon, he was murdered because he went from, he flip-flopped from the new religion back to the old religion where they had a, a more rich, eternal progression, polytheistic view of things. He was murdered and Josiah becomes the, the king at a very young age. And of course, he's very influenced by these um, courtiers, the officials, right? And they then have him cleansing the temple, cutting down the groves, and then they discover that this book of Moses, Deuteronomy, the copy of the law or the second law, which is what led to all the pharisaical behavior. It's the, it's the one that replaces wisdom or Sophia or, or the women, the, the divine feminine, with um, the law. In fact, I think it's Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 6 that says, this law shall be your wisdom going forward. A very direct replacement of the feminine with law. And of course, how then are you saved? By following the law and following the edicts of those who interpret the law for you. <clears throat> right. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> <clears throat> well, to tie this all together, I think... Um, the Deuteronomists are you, back. You've got this conflict brewing, not just inside the LDS church, but I think in, in churches everywhere and society as a whole, right? This conflict is boiling over that between the independent, autonomous man and those who would control him and literally control him, right? Control our minds. Our well, hearts, they would have you brains. control other people. They would. They would create a society where every man oppresses his neighbor. Right, and we're we're well on the way to that. But you know, you said that when things got difficult for Lehi and his family, you know, it was an unmasking event. We've had literally <laughs> an unmasking event. Yeah, where we know, like, we have a better idea now who's of who's who, right? And. You remember, that, you remember that uh, scene in Jack Reacher? Have we brought that up before? <clears throat> Where uh, the girl is trying to, at, at the bar, the girl's oh, trying right. to get him, and he's joking with her about being a prostitute. And, he, and right. he says, it turns out the ones you don't have to pay for are usually the most expensive. <laughs> and then her, quote, brothers come up, right? and they, they make him take the fight outside, and, and he's like, here's what's going to happen. Right. <laughs> you know? 
first I'm going to go after the main dude. And when I get him, then we're, then we figure out which of the wingmen are, uh, are really committed. Right. And, um, and so the, the Jeb character attacks him and he, and he kicks him in the crotch and he grabs him by the neck and he looks around and he's like, Really? Yeah, he's still going to go through a, with this. And then a couple of them scatter, and he's like, okay, now we know who's who. Right. Now we know who's who. I got to find that scene in Jack Reacher. It's very, very and, applicable. Yeah, and I think now we, now we know. And maybe we've, we've known. I think people have known in varying degrees for a long time. But it's really hard to look at things now and say, I don't know where they stand. Because all we have to do is... Well, you can mince words, right? You can, of course, you can but say, actions you can and, say, well, no, they're saying that actions speak louder than words. Absolutely. Keep right. going. Sorry. Uh, actions are everything, right? In, in the context of the church, they can stand up in general conference and say the proclamation of the family is, you know, the, the standard, but then they hire Aaron Sherinian and loosen their policies on LGBTQ relationships or they could stand up and say this and that but then then they're but then they're lying on their tax forms and uh, to the SEC and and so it's actions and and you see that with the WEF you know they get up and their words <laughs> again words are it's not that words aren't important though when i think when people tell you who they are you should believe them and when they talk about their agendas, you know, when they, when they clearly demonstrate they're committed to those agendas, you'll see it. Right. So we, we know who's who is, is what we're getting at. And you have, to, you have to figure out who you are and what you're willing. Are you willing to be an oppressor of your neighbor or, or are you going to resist that? And uh, that, that's the great question, I guess, facing all of us is... And, and, and sadly, a lot of us decided we would oppress our neighbor, as we saw during the pandemic. Right? Well, I think, I think a lot of folks, though, were, were, are just... The situation in Utah, the situation amongst uh, the membership of the church is just like, no, we want the church to be that oasis in the digital desert. We want it to be that island that the waves crash upon. We want it to be the, the solid ground. And... Uh, in the absence of that, if, there, if that is not what it is, then you're saying men just have to be independent. And I mean, that's a, that, I don't that's mean really, that. that sounds hopeless. You well, know, where, I, where I, do we go? I don't mean by independent, I don't mean that you have to be alone. What I mean is that you have to have your own convictions that you're willing to stand behind and stand on. But that doesn't mean you shouldn't gather with other like-minded people. So what you're saying is you can go to church. It's not, we're not recommending people leave the church. It's just that no. you, can't, you can't buy into everything that's going on there. Well, that, Which, maybe that, but also just don't go and assume that that's enough. To just sit there once a week and listen to someone, you know, talk to you, preach to you, and then go home and say, I'm, I'm good. You got to inquire of the Lord. You have to do it. And well, the you unfortunate... have to have the same experience Nephi did, meaning you have to have that witness. So the unfortunate reality is that if you talk about this stuff or you, or you get too, uh, if you become too intense about it or you bring it up in the wrong times, or you don't shut up when they say to shut up, then you get kicked out. Yeah, what, what does that right. say about us? Well, right. And that's a whole other. 
that's a whole other issue. Plenty of people have been kicked out for right for less for saying less than we've said here on the podcast. <laughs> well, we don't have an audience. <laughs> <laughs> Let's keep it that way, folks. Well, no, I, yeah, that's the great question. The, the, these great questions. I don't mean great like like great question or dumb question. I mean the <laughs> great questions. I, I think it was. Truman Madsen wrote an essay called The Great Questions or The Terrible Questions. Like, this is what it, it all comes down to. It was Nibley that wrote The Terrible Questions. This is what it all comes down to is... is uh, it's in Temple and Cosmos. Do you have a relationship with God? Have ye inquired of the Lord? And if not, why not? Because he won't tell me anything different than I hear in general conference. And Are that's you the problem. Sure about that? That's the problem because that's what's been taught. That's what's been taught, and I'm not. That, that that's like official doctrine. No, I, I understand. Okay. I understand. I, I, we. I guess we could go back and try to source it for everybody. But, but the point is, not only is that official doctrine, but that's the underlying uh, belief. Uh, pretty much the prevailing mainstream belief, and that is the problem, isn't it? Well, we have to remember, like Lehi was saying things that went against the prevailing belief and the, the preachings and teachings of the official instituted church. Right. So was Jeremiah. You're not allowed to liken the Book of Mormon to yourself, so body was, flood. So was Jesus. Jesus came and was, he was a rabble rouser. He yeah. made the institution mad because he spoke I that think your personal revelation may contradict. I think Nephi theirs. specifically said, "I did not like in the scriptures unto me that they would be for my profit and learning." <laughs> right. Well, no, it, it, we have to. But unfortunately, we narrow that. Right. It's like, oh, insert your name into this verse. It's like, okay, that's helpful, I guess. But we also look at have the big to, picture. We have look to liken it picture. to our society, our culture, yeah. our governments, our our institutions, the elite that hate us. Well, that's, he says that right before he brings in all the Isaiah stuff, which is all about the society. And the, and the institutional church. Uh, the people, the, the purported people of the Lord. Right. Yeah. Who he calls like dogs and hypocrites and vipers. Well, a remnant shall return. Maher Shalal Hashbaj and Sher Jashib. Sher Jashib. You're talking about the actor? Talking about the names of Isaiah's sons. Oh, so not the actor. Destruction, no. Destruction is eminent and uh, a remnant shall return. <clears throat> yeah. Well. It's a pattern that has occurred throughout <laughs> history. Well, we're living through a pattern, that's for sure. We're living through history. Uh, if, assuming history is allowed to continue, <laughs> uh, they'll look back at this time period with, uh, I think, a lot of confusion and bewilderment. They'll look at it and say, they didn't know the difference between a man and a woman. Or they'll look at it and say, how primitive. They used to have <laughs> men and women back then. <laughs> They're like Neanderthals. <laughs> Breeding. The brave new world. Imagine forcing women to carry children. Now we just grow them in tubes. And they're all androgynous, intelligent. They're not, they're man-women. <laughs> There's no, there'll be no gender. They'll be just beings of servitude and, I don't know. We're, and we're, the Morlocks. We've got, we're, we've got a big choice be, in front of us as a society. And so far we are choosing poorly. Yeah. 
we got to get right with the Lord, and the only way to do that is individually. Right. You can you can preach and and persuade, but you can only do it on your own. And and that doesn't mean there aren't like-minded people that will help you. That that's why we go to church. That's the whole point of going to church, right? Is to gather together and to seek after the welfare of our souls. So go to church. Go to find a community that you identify with, and and that doesn't necessarily that might not mean Sunday church. It might mean that you just gather with two or three or ten other people and inquire of the welfare of your souls. Right. I don't know what else to say. All right, well, that's probably a good time to end then. Well, it is a good spot to end. (laughs) I'll just say one last thing, and that is, have ye inquired of the Lord? Amen, brother.